All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalm 91, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, please. Psalm 91. This Saturday at 7 a.m. is our men's breakfast, if you want to join. Dylan, you have a mustache, dude. Stop me dead in my tracks. I'm just not. (laughs) Wow. That is, and it's a good one too. I like it. All right. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to recover from that. I, I get, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Men's breakfast. In, uh, seven. Um, we have a guest speaker coming up from uh, Grace Calvary Chapel down in St. Joe. He's their executive pastor. He'll be sharing with us and and I uh, hope you join us for that. We decided against the pancake thing, so we're going to be bringing our own food. And um, you may want to eat before you get here. I don't know how good it's going to be. It'll be good, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, but join us for that this this Saturday at seven. Um, I think we have our youth. Do you have flyers out for the youth thing yet, or just the slide? Let's put the. Do you have that slide? Oh, sorry. Um, we don't have anything ready for that. It's not till the twenty first anyway. So um, they're going to go ice skating on the twenty first. That's going to be a, a Sunday. At 2.15, they'll meet here at the church to bring five bucks and head down to the rink, and uh, they'll do some ice skating. So that's what's happening there. All right, let's pray. Let's get started. Lord, we thank you for your word and the opportunity to start the new year off, second week, but kind of our first week for a lot of us, um, in your word, um, with brothers and sisters, and uh, in the Lord, and uh, worshiping you, and, 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 and part of that worship, Lord, not just singing and praying, but also uh, the hearing and receiving of your word with gladness. So help us to receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we work our way through the fourth book of Psalms, there's five books total. This will be the fourth. Uh, Started off in Psalm 90 was the fourth book. 91 is the second Psalm in that book. Um, We talk about the safety and the abiding in abiding in God and abiding in his presence. That word abiding is a very important word for me and for Calvary Chapel uh, specifically. Um, I mean, it's good for all brothers and sisters, but we, le- we believe you need to abide in Christ. You need to live there. You need to stay with him. It isn't a once saved, always saved mentality. I got baptized when I was six, therefore I can live however I want to the rest of my life, and it makes no difference, um, and, and so on. So we, we believe in abiding in God's grace, to stay there, to keep yourself in the love of God. We're encouraged over and over to do that. And it's not because God uh, wants to keep his numbers up, although he does, but for not for the reason of the numbers, but for, the, for your sake, uh, for our sake. He wants us to stay close to him because that's the safest place for us. This psalm really focuses on that, why it's safe, why he calls us to that. Um, it, it's, it's work for him. Uh, as any mother knows, loving your children is, is not necessarily work, but it is in a way. Um, there's a lot that goes into loving your children. Um, it isn't just a hug and a, and a, and a kiss on the cheek, but it's, it's, there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of uh, hoping and training and, and all that goes into that. And God has that for all of us. He has that heart for us. Um, he wants us under and protected by his wings. And so he dwells on that here in this psalm. It begins in verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, 
He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noon at noonday. The writer here of this song is encouraging the listener or the singer to keep themselves in that place of it's as close as you can get to God. You know, they're not in the hen house. They're under the hen, you know, right there in that protected place Um, of many people oftentimes and and can happen to any of us at any time in our walk with Jesus can test to see how far away from God we can get and still be his and still be under his protection. Trying to find that, that edge. I think of the children of Israel. When I think about this, I think about how they were led by a pillar of fire in the daytime or in the, in the daytime and the, and the, and the smoke in the daytime and the fire at nighttime, right? Um, and that smoke that went up and it would cover them. And they, it was a, in the desert, what a great place to be in shade underneath that smoke. And you ha- can't help but wonder, there's got to be an edge to that. It wasn't like he shaded the whole desert. It was just for them. And wherever they walked, there they were. And I wonder how many people were walking right on the edge of that shade, you know, right there. And how unnecessary that was. And how much room there was to be in the center of that place. I just encourage you in, in 2023 to stay as close to the center of God's will as you can and not try to find that edge. It's a dangerous place to be. It's, it's one step away from being out from under his covering. It's not smart. It's not wise to be in that location. The world is a problem as this psalmist writes. There's a, a snare of the fowler. That's someone who is deliberately trying to trip you up. And we know that we have an adversary, the devil. Who wants, us, who wants to do that for us. He doesn't want us to continue. He doesn't want you to continue to read the scriptures. He'll, he'll bring things into your life, guilt and shame, things that you've asked for forgiveness for. God has forgiven you and they're, they're in the rearview mirror, but all of a sudden they come to the forefront of your mind and you feel like, I can't lift up the Bible anymore. I don't feel like I can read. I don't feel worthy. I don't think I should fellowship. I don't think I should go to church. I don't think I should pray. I don't feel it. And then you feel like there's just some need to wallow in that for a little bit before you can actually make that attempt to worship. And that's just not God. That's not what he wants. No father wants that of his kids. It's, a, it's an immediate return. It's an immediate acceptance with that forgiveness. And we need to stay there. There is a fowler out there, a snare, who's trying to keep you from flying and keep you from continuing on. And you need to watch for that. The scriptures clearly warn us this morning that there is someone out there to trip us up. I think we need to take heed to that and pay attention to that. The other thing that bothers us or that can cause us to stumble is the perilous pestilence. That can be anything. I mean, I like to think of pestilence. You think of the the 10 plagues, you know, that went through Egypt and there's a lot of pestilence there that happened, but it can be anything. Um, It doesn't have to be insects necessarily. It doesn't have to necessarily be a disease of some kind. There are things that are just naturally occur in this world because of the fall that can cause us to be tripped up. They're pestilence. He says, I want to protect you from that. I want to keep you from that snare of the fowler. Stay there. Um, we don't do this ever. There's, a, there's, a, there's a quite a few visitors this morning. Um, so we don't normally do this, but we're going to do it today anyway, if you will. I, 
I know it says in verse 2, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. And a lot of us will just nod because it's, it's the appropriate thing to do in a teaching situation like this. Yeah, I agree with that. I'd like to say it out loud though with you. And here's why. Sometimes I need to hear myself pray. I need to hear it come out of my mouth. I know God knows my prayers. I know he knows my thoughts before I even thunk them. But I still need to do it. It's still important. And so if you would you indulge me in, in repeating after me? And, and, and I hope it's from the heart, but if not, at least your ears are going to hear your mouth say it. You know? He is my refuge and my fortress. Some of you didn't get the repeat part. Okay. <laughs> you can tell we don't do this very often. We need repeat after me. How's this? He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. It's a great New Year's resolution, you know. It's a great thing to say out loud. It's not something that I, I subscribe to that idea. I'm actually making it personal and saying, this is what I'm going to do. And the writer here says, we need to do that. God needs to be my refuge and my fortress. It's my stronghold. And I love the way he describes his refuge and stronghold as having wings and feathers, because that's not what I think of. I think of castles. I think of England. I think of Scotland. I think of hard, cold moats and drawbridges and, and you know guys with crossbows up there. That's what I think of when I think of fortress. But God describes it as like, no, it's softer than that. It's not cold. It's not calculated. It's not unfeeling and un, um, another unword. Uh, it's soft. He's gentle. He's like a hen and it's a feather. And there's a love attached to that. You know, um, I watch some of these dad saves sometimes. You ever seen those dad saves where the kid's about to fall off the couch or something? The guy, dad just you know, gets him like that or whatever. And there's this cradling that takes place and there's this self-sacrifice of the dad's body for the child's body oftentimes. I'm like, that's my father. That's our father in heaven. He does that. He loves you. He doesn't want to just barely save you. You know, He cradles us if we'll let him. If we'll let him. Um, so the writer here says just to do that, to, to dwell, that means to live. To abide, that means to continue. Continue to live in that protection, in that protected state. In uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. In 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one, we don't normally choose 2 Samuel as a cross-reference, but I thought, well, how interesting. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. It goes right along with this psalm. God's word is meant to shield us, not meant to control us or meant to bind us, but to shield us. Sometimes we don't see the word that way. We see the word as something that's uh, take it or leave it kind of thing. I don't know if I should or not. Well, it's, 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 it's leaving yourself exposed. You're vulnerable when you don't accept God's word, when we don't believe him as a loving father who wants to care for us. And so that, that, that quote there from 2 Samuel, it's, it, his word is proven. It's, it's always come to pass. It's a shield for those who will trust. There's a lot of action on our part. 
God is a refuge. God is trustworthy. But we have to place ourselves in that position. And we can take ourselves out of that position. And that's when we get ourselves in trouble. Psalm chapter 4, verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There's a second thing we do there. It's not that I put myself under the shadow of his wings and now I'm going to do whatever I wish. No, we offer sacrifices of righteousness. It shouldn't be a sacrifice. I don't necessarily like the way it's worded, but oftentimes my flesh considers righteousness a sacrifice on my part. To do the right thing, to be honest and not lie my way out of getting caught. Or many other things that we could put in place of that word righteousness. There's lots of things we can do, but it's part of that putting our trust in God. If I choose to be righteous, if I make righteous decisions in my life, that's part of trusting in the Lord. He's called us to that. And there's a safety there. It may hurt being honest or being righteous. It may break fellowship with some people that don't want you to be righteous and they want to do other things and want you to join them in those things. It may be difficult, but there is safety there in that honesty and that closeness to God. Isaiah 31.1, woe to those who go down to Egypt, represents the world, for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. It's kind of hard to think of yourself in a difficult situation, a perilous situation, and not trust in your own instincts or your own abilities or whatever it is you have on your hip at that instant. To actually trust in the Lord in those, in those cases. That's a hard thing. Woe to those who... Compl- and and I, would, I would say what he's getting at is those who choose Egypt over the Lord. I got my plan. I've got my my path. I've got my finances in order. I've got my education where I want it to be. I've got all these things, but they don't trust in the Lord. That's a dangerous thing for us and get us into trouble. Don't trust in those things. They're useful, no doubt. Horses are useful. Chariots can be useful. Cars could be useful. We don't really have chariots anymore, but we get the idea. But we don't trust in them. A lot of you have cars that you should put no trust in at all right? And, uh, and you've learned that from experience. <laughs> I think it'll make it. No, it won't. <laughs> you know, you trust in the Lord to bring someone by, he'll pick you up, give you a ride and get you where you need to go. That's trusting in God. Trust in the Lord. Continue on here in verse seven, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes, you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. The interesting little two verses he throws in there. My faith, my trust in the Lord, if I do all of the first six verses in my own life, doesn't prevent me from seeing it in other people's lives. Even people close to me that haven't done one through six. I'm not saying one through six is the uh, talisman against evil. This is This whole... Uh, psalm is going to relate to Jesus Christ. It's a prophecy about him. And, uh, and we know how he died on the cross. And some would say, well, that doesn't exactly. Well, it does. Even him dying on the cross fulfills this. And so we have to be careful about what we think this text means. That Be that as it may, when I'm walking with the Lord and trusting with the Lord, but someone next to me isn't, 
doesn't mean I'm not going to witness their demise. And sometimes we can take that personally. We can feel like, God, I've been a good person. I've been praying for them. I've been, I've been walking with the Lord. I've been sharing the gospel with them. I'm doing, how could you let this happen to them? Well, they, they haven't put their trust in God. You have, but you doing that hasn't protected them because they haven't. It's very important. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. My kids need to make a personal decision for Jesus Christ. I cannot make that for them. I will raise them in a godly home. They will witness grace and mercy, and they'll have to forgive me, and I'm going to forgive them. They're going to see Christianity in action in my home, but they all have to make a personal decision because they are not saved because they were born in my house. Nor is everybody in America a Christian because they were born here. Everybody has to make that decision. And there are many, many pew sitters throughout this church and throughout this nation that think because they attend that that's salvation, and it's not not. Being here is not proof of salvation. Proof of salvation is who you are and your relationship with God when no one's around. That's it. That's when I know. That's where I evaluate myself in my own walk as a pastor. What am I like when I'm not up front? Up front, I'm a holy, rolling, Bible-teaching guy right here, right? But what am I like when I'm in the chicken coop and my wife's not around, you know? Or I'm at the cow's These are new things for me, by the way. And they test my flesh, I would add. What am I like there? Am I still singing worship songs by myself to God because I love Him? Am I still praying? You can bet I am, for sure. That's when I know. That's when you know. These things aren't automatic. They don't come. I may witness a thousand falling, 10,000 at my right hand, and that's a hard thing to observe and to watch in this world. And I think you're going to see more and more of that as we get closer and closer to Jesus' return. I think you're going to see a distinction between believers and unbelievers. It's going to become very apparent. And we're going to see people fall, and it's going to break our hearts, and we're going to feel that pain because... Obviously, you love them so much. That's a father's love. What I mean by that is that's your father's love manifesting itself in you. That's why you care. Why do I care about these people falling? Because you have the love of Christ. And he cares about them falling. And you suffer with it. That's why he says in verse 8, you're only going to see it with your eyes, the reward of the wicked. That's where you'll see it. Verse 9, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Some of you who've read the Bible or studied it at all know that these are the verses that one of the verses anyway, that Satan uses to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit takes him out into the wilderness. And for many days, over a month, Jesus is out there. And at that time, at the end of the fasting that Jesus goes through and the praying out there in the wilderness, Satan comes along and begins to tempt this super savior to see if he'll bow the knee to him. Well, one of those is in Luke chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Then he, Satan, 
brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. So Satan is using God's word. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. You won't get hurt if you throw yourself down. Prove it. Show us. Jesus' response was another scripture out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. And that's very important that we let scripture interpret scripture. That we don't take one verse and build a doctrine out of it without looking at the entirety of God's word. It's written by one author. It is a library. It's many different authors, many different books written over thousands of years. And yet it's one author. It's the Holy Spirit. Here's his response. Satan continues with the scripture in their hands. They shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Maybe he would if I slipped and fell right now. God would do that for me because he's got a purpose and a plan for me. And it's not my time. I need to go to the cross. which is far worse than falling off of the, the top of a building. But I'm certainly not going to see if God will do it. I'm not going to test him or tempt him. You know, quick, save me, God. We see that happening in the church sometimes. Very strange practices in Christianity sometimes. It's embarrassing to say the least. But these come from a lack of doctrine, a lack of understanding, and a lack of going through the entirety of God's word and only hitting portions of it. That's why we teach through the Bible. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We want to get the whole counsel of God, not just the high highlights. So we don't have cobra holding or rattlesnake holding, and we don't drink poison to see if God will protect us. We don't do that. Because some will point to the scriptures, they see, no deadly poison shall hurt you. It also says in Deuteronomy, don't tempt the Lord your God. In other words, if you can avoid poison, I can't believe I have to say this out loud on a Sunday morning, avoid poison. If you see a rattlesnake, no reason to shake your leg at it to see what happens. Obviously. Although we do see Paul gathering sticks after a shipwreck as a prisoner for all that were cold and wet, getting bit, bitten by a viper, shakes it off, and everybody watched to see if he was going to die, and he didn't die as he was serving the Lord. That's accidental. That was something that just, and God protected him from that. And that's a miracle. And that's a wonderful thing. But we don't go out there looking for it. We don't tempt God. And so that's all he's saying here. Because you've made your place his refuge, because you found your dwelling place in the most high, you're going to be protected from these things. Now, Jesus is protected until it's not time to be protected. Right? Jesus knew the cross was coming. We know that from the garden when he's praying, sweating drops of, great drops of blood, it says. They call it hematosis, I think is what they call it. I'm not sure the exact medical term for it, but sweating and being so stressed out, your capillaries start to break. And so as the sweat comes, so does the blood come with the sweat. That's a lot of stress. Is that anxiety? Well, I don't know what I'd call it, I suppose. (laughs) Be anxious for nothing. Keep it in context. Let's think about this for a minute. He's about to go to the cross, one of the most horrific ways to die. The most, 
most say. Many, many doctors have said it's an unbelievable way to die. Horribly painful, suffocation and agonizing and takes so long. Tomorrow's the day you're going to go to that cross. And he says, Lord, Father, if there's any way, if there's this cup can pass from me, any, and there wasn't. No, this is what you're called for. This is what I've made for you. This is a part of my plan for your life. So although he says here, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, that's true until, until it's time. Until it's time for God to bring you home. Until it's time for God to use you in a different way. We have many martyrs in the, in the Bible. Many, many scriptural. Fox's Book of Martyrs, a wonderful book to read. Just to go through some of the things that some of the saints before us went through to die for the cross. They believed the gospel and loved him so much. That's a lot. Verse 12. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Absolutely. You will have victory. When Jesus sent out the disciples the first time, he said, I don't want you to take a money bag or even a change of clothes. Not even a, no weapons, nothing like that. I just want you to trust in God. I want you to trust in our Father and he'll take care of you. And they had a great victory. And they came back rejoicing at all the things that God had done through them. The wonderful works. Now, the second time he sent them out, remember what he said? Go ahead and take, take a change of clothes. Go ahead and take a money bag. You can take some food. Gave him provisions that time because it's not always that way. I want you to be prepared. and Take some things with you. But the first time I needed you to learn to walk by faith. You'll go through seasons like that where God will stretch your faith and you'll have to walk by faith. And that's a good thing. I want those times. I also like the times when I'm completely satisfied. I don't have to worry about a thing. There's nothing to pray about because I don't have any problems right now. But I'm also ready to pray when they come. Paul learned to be content when he was abounding or when he was abased, always. doesn't matter what condition I am, situationally, I will trust in the Lord, always. Verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, this is God speaking, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Have you set your love upon God? It's a decision you have to make. I know that God has set his love upon me. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. It's the greatest example of love. We've we talk about it almost every service. Jesus died on the cross for our sins because that is the greatest expression of God's love for us. When he points to his love, anytime in scripture, he points to the cross. How can I show you any more than that, that I love you? than to sacrifice my own son for your sake and to let all of your sin and guilt and shame be placed upon him, that I would put my judgment and wrath upon my own son as opposed to you. I can't love you any more than that. And this is when you weren't even mine. This is when you were my enemy. Greater love has no man than this. God showed us that. My response to that is rational and obvious. 
to set my love back upon him. I mean, could you trust anybody more than that? There is nobody in this world you can trust more than someone who would do that. So God wanted to give us that example. He's called us to do the same. Love your enemies. Lay down your life for your enemies. He's called us to that. That's a hard thing. That's got to be a supernatural work of God in my life to me. Have this heart of mine, this mind of mine, be open to something that radical. Enemies? I want you to do that. Because God knows that's the very thing that brought you to me. It's the very thing that's going to bring them to you and from them to me also. I want you to take up your cross and follow me. I want you to do like I do. I want you to be like I am. I want you to preach the truth always. But it's got to be in that kind of love. It has to be. He's called us to that. That's a, that's a high calling. Because he has set his love upon me, he says. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 38. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. That's it. Loving God. Now, he says later on in that same verse, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when we learned also, in fact, I think it was last Wednesday we hit upon this, that in order to love God, you must love people. First John tells us that. You cannot say you love God and hate people. That's a lie. You don't love God then. And so he calls us out on this. The greatest thing you can do is set your love upon the Lord with all of your heart, not partial. It's got to be everything. God never calls us to a a half a commitment to him. It's all in. We've got to be all in. This is titled in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 21, the essence of the law. A good group of verses to read then. This is the essence. I love essence. I don't like details. Just dumb it down for me. Make it concise. I want the least common denominator. I mean, I want this. I want, I want to get down to bedrock, right? And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep his commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I commanded you today, for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. And to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. 
That's the essence of it. It's not complicated. It's not a list. I mean, it is, but it's a, it's, it's a perfect example of what a life with God looks like. It, it should come naturally. Not, oh, I better memorize that because I don't want to forget to not be stiff-necked. You know? No, no, no. It's natural. When you love somebody, you naturally love them. You know, that's the, that's the starting point, which causes all of your characteristics and, and, and actions towards them to match how you feel towards them. Very simple. If I focus on loving people, I'm going to do the right thing for them. If I focus on loving God, I'm going to do the right thing for God. It just, it just happens that way. That's, that's why he, he says it the way he says it. As a, as a believer or future believer here sitting this morning, we have to set our loves upon God. It's a decision we have to make every single day. I'm not going to love myself. I'm not going to love this world. I'm not going to love the things in this world. I'm going to set my love upon God today. That's going to guide everything I do that day. It's going to guide how I am at my work, how I am with my family. It's going to guide me every step of the way. Psalmist knows what he's talking about. I mean, the psalmist is somebody, some man, but the writer is the Holy Spirit. That's only for our good and only for our help this morning. That's all it's for. If we'll just take heed and listen. This morning we're going to have communion. And the guys, if you want to begin to get ready to hand that out, that'd be great. That's what this is. That's why we have this little cup of juice and this little piece of bread that we're about to eat together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, while his enemy was going to get his money to tell the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious rulers, where they could find Jesus and arrest him and crucify him and get him killed, on that meal right before Judas left, they were having the Passover, celebrating it. Thank you, Rod. And taking that bread that they were eating, he broke it and blessed it. He told his disciples that were sitting at that table, take and eat as often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. This is my broken body for you. It hadn't happened yet, but it was going to happen the next day. You imagine how confusing that was at that meal. This is your broken body. Now, for a lot of the guys in the room, they're very relieved because just a few days earlier, he had told all of his disciples, 70 of them, that they needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And that made a lot of them worried and they all walked away except for the 12. The 12 that stayed got this meal and got this explanation. They can eat, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Actually, his flesh, it's symbolic. The whole meal was symbolic. The Passover lamb being shed and the blood being applied to the doorpost before they could get out of Egypt, before the plague, the last plague, the 10th plague comes through and kills the firstborn. Anybody with this blood, anybody that killed the lamb and applied that to their lives doesn't have the firstborn die. They're protected. They're saved no matter what they've done. I hope you hear that this morning. Jesus is the lamb. That's what John said to him, his cousin. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And when you apply the blood of Jesus Christ to the doorposts of your heart, you're protected no matter what you've done, no matter who you've hurt, no matter what kind of sin is in your heart, because you've trusted in Christ, that lamb, Jesus Christ, has taken the penalty for those sins. You are forgiven. You are protected. You will never die. You have everlasting life with God. How it works, I have no idea. 
I don't understand the mechanics of it. All I know is I'm to believe and to trust, and I do. And I hope you do this morning too, for the first time even. At that same meal, that Passover meal, he lifted up the cup that they were drinking. He said, take and drink. This is the blood of my new covenant. My blood shed for you. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Well, thank goodness it wasn't his actual blood, but it is symbolic of his shed blood the next day. The new covenant is this. The old covenant was, if you keep my commandments, then you can go to heaven. And nobody kept the commandments. And everybody was found lacking. And nobody could get to heaven. And that caused them to look, what do I do? I've broken the commandments. They were a tutor to bring us to Christ. The commandments and the broken commandments led us to what is my other option? I have not kept the first covenant. I've broken it. And the penalty of breaking that covenant is separation from God eternally. What do I do? I've got a solution for that, God says. The lamb. Every sacrifice that was ever offered in the temple was all pointing to this one moment when the lamb of God would show up and die on the cross. Every time they sacrificed a lamb for their sins, every time they passed their sins onto the head of that lamb, that steer, that bird, whatever it was that they were sacrificing that day, it was all symbolic of the blood that would be shed at the cross. Pointing to that one time, the one sacrifice, once for all, I will save you, God says. And that's the new covenant. You can't save yourselves. You can't get yourself to heaven. You can't be good enough to undo the good that you, or the bad that you've done. You can't say, I didn't murder somebody for 90 years of my life. I only did it that last day. Then you're guilty of murder. The 90 years beforehand without murder doesn't make any difference. You're guilty. Everyone in this room stands guilty before God. And that's why Christ came. None of us are saved other than by this new covenant in his blood. Jesus took the penalties of all of our sins in this room nailed him to the cross, took the wrath of God that was intended for you and me, put it upon himself. We're very thankful. and That's why we eat and drink this. That's why we do this as often. You can do this as often as you want, by the way. It doesn't have to be once a month at Calvary. It could be every day in your home if you wanted to be reminded. The reminder is this. You're going to heaven because of what Christ did. Thank goodness that it's not on my performance yesterday or today even. But it's what Christ has done for me, and that is sure, and that's something I can trust in. That's why we eat and drink. It doesn't make us any more holy, but it certainly reminds us that we have peace with God because of Jesus. Paul, when he describes this meal, and I'd be neglecting my duties if I didn't explain this, he says, by the way, don't eat or drink this in an unworthy manner this morning. Here's the unworthy manner that he was speaking of, is you haven't judged yourself. You haven't taken the cross of Jesus Christ and applied it to your life. You understand what I'm saying. I know that Jesus is a historical figure who did something sometime, and I know that, and this is not a snack. This is only for people that have placed their trust in Jesus. And so Paul says, don't eat or drink. But he goes further and says, but better, judge yourself today. Put yourself in the love of God this morning. You don't have to set down your cup and your bread saying, I don't believe. You can choose to believe today and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Believe on him for your salvation. Trust in him. And for the first time you've ever had this bread and cup, and you've probably had it several times, it's going to mean something. 
You understand that this is his broken body and you accept that. It's not my broken body, it was yours. Thank you, God, for this. That it's not my blood that's going to be shed, it was your blood that was shed. Thank you, God, for shedding your blood for me. And you're remembering him this morning in a, in a worthy way. Because he died on the cross for your sins and you've made it personal. So before we eat or drink, I want to make sure we pray. In case there's any unbelievers in the room that have never done this, I want you to be believing this morning. So if you can pray to God all on your own. He prefers that, by the way. Even if you don't know what to say, he knows your heart. You can't say the wrong thing to him. Absolutely. I'm also going to pray, though, so you understand what it is we're doing here. And you can pray along with me if you want to. Lord Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I know that my sins have separated me from you. And I have no way to you except through the way you've provided, which is Jesus Christ. I believe you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. And that all of my sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to the cross. And I thank you for that, God. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I trust in you for my salvation. I look to you for my salvation. Lord, your word says in John 3 that we need to be born again. I want that. I want to be a new creation in Christ. I want to let the old things go. I want to turn from my sins. I want to put those in the rearview mirror and never go back to them again. I want to walk with you from this day forward, keeping my eyes fixed on you, listening to you, reading your words, spending time with you, letting you change me from the inside out. I give you my life today. Thank you for that. Change me now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat and drink. you're visiting, we do something a little different here. We break our glasses. Here's why. It's sort of symbolic of us being broken vessels. And that it's Christ who heals us and causes it. Brian, you got to stop going to the gym, man. It's just a fun thing we do because it reminds us that we're broken vessels and we're, we're here to be healed and, and, uh, and, and be filled with Christ and that's who we carry with us wherever we go. So on the count of three, one, two, three. All right. Have a good Sunday, guys.